0: And you know, it's a, it's a travel agency, movie theaters in small communities. No, perhaps young Mexicans that cannot go another places to know another culture, another way of, of thinking. They discover this diversity by the travel agency that is a movie theater. It's just great. No, they can travel any place, anytime by, by the screen.
1: This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, the only publication in North America exclusively dedicated to covering the world of theatrical exhibition. Here this week with our co-host... Rebecca Polly, Deputy Editor at Box Office Pro, and our Chief Analyst, Sean Robbins. In this week's episode, we will be speaking with Roberto Quintero, the Convention Director of CineShow Mexico, an event taking place in Puebla, Mexico on September 28th and 29th, bringing together the Mexican exhibition business, looking at everything that's going on in that market that's coming up in our feature interview segment. But we're going to be opening once again, looking at the week's news and going over some box office. Figures with Sean. Let's start with the Cinema Day celebration, guys. Did you guys make it out to the movies this weekend? And did you go on Saturday?
2: I did. I, uh, I went to see Jaws in IMAX with my boyfriend. He said, yeah, I've seen that movie 50 times. And seeing it in IMAX, like I'm seeing new ex- micro expressions in Robert Shaw's face that I've never seen before. Um, so yeah, it was a good experience.
1: Which theater did you go to?
2: The AMC Lincoln.
1: That's my hometown multiplex, I think. It's
3: right on the one train line for me. Sean, did you make it out this weekend? Fortunately, I didn't. My Nuffy's birthday party was Saturday. (laughs) So I, unfortunately, out of all the days, (laughs) I was really bummed.
1: I was on the same boat. I was in Texas visiting my sister and her one-year-old, and I decided to babysit the one-year-old so my sister and her husband could go to the movies. They went over to the Galaxy Highland and checked out the Spider-Man No Way Home re-release. They'd never done the D-Box immersive seating over at Galaxy Theatres, they were able to do it enticed by that $3 offer and loved it. They're probably going to go back in that format. It's, I think, one of those takeaways from the weekend, how uh, folks were able to go and test out some of those premium formats that they hadn't before now that they're at a lower ticket point. So...
2: Yeah, Daniel, Cinema Day or something of this type has never really been tried in the North American market, where you have all tickets across all formats being so steeply discounted. So uh, talking about like the box office, the numbers of of last weekend, there's not really any use to that. Sean, I'm going to ask if you agree (laughs) with that. The the numbers are a little bit irrelevant.
3: (laughs) Yeah, uh, this is this is one of those days kind of once it was announced, it just seemed inevitable that it's, yeah, I will say it's a one-off in some ways, but if this becomes an annual tradition, they actually could have some value once we come around to this time next year if, it, if it's, you know, maybe every Labor Day or, or structured around this time of year. So, but as far as a week-to-week basis, yeah, everything this past Saturday had a giant asterisk, if not the whole weekend.
2: What we do have is that per NATO, 8.1 million people bought tickets for Cinema Day. That puts Uh, admissions at nine percent ahead of the prior Saturday, which, of course, did not have discounted tickets. So it brought a lot of people in over that three day weekend. Spider-Man No Way Home with the extended 11 minutes took the top spot. Then Top Gun Maverick did quite well on Labor Day and it ended up taking the the top spot. But there's actually one film in the top five that as I was looking at this box office, I was it kind of intrigued me. And that is DC League of Super Pets, which, Sean, can, can you remind us how that did when it came out?
3: High expectations were higher. It, it certainly underperformed on opening weekend. It's had solid legs since then, or at least relatively solid. It has still been front-loaded compared to a lot of other animated movies just because it has that DC tie-in, but... Typically around Labor Day, we see movies like that. Whether or not they're, you know, giant minions level movies or maybe middle tier animated like this, they tend to hold very well at this time because it's it's when parents will will take kids back out. A lot of areas in the country are already back in school, but some aren't. So this is kind of one of those weekends historically pre and now post-COVID. Uh, lockdowns, that it's living up to that expectation of of a a family movie doing really well over this holiday.
2: Yeah, I mean, we definitely saw that over National Cinema Day. It went from sixth place last weekend to place this weekend, and I'm talking about the three-day totals, an almost 32% jump from the previous weekend. Uh, and the same was true of Minions of the Rise of Gru. That also had a jump, though, that one uh, only just shy of 16%. So a lot of uh, a lot of families, it looks like, taking advantage of those lower ticket prices to get the kids out to maybe things that they've been meeting to see, that had been in theaters for a while. You know, I, I think it's, it's interesting how this concept kind of interacts with kids' movies and how that might play out in the future if this does become an annual thing?
1: I think that's a fair question. And it's one of the things that I think Jackie Bredeman was saying, the uh, the president of the Cinema Foundation that organized this initiative here in the United States, that This was a trial. They couldn't commit that this would happen every year. They couldn't commit that if it was going to happen again, it would take place over the same weekend, Labor Day weekend frame, but that they did expect with the decreased ticket price that family films would overperform. We saw that happen, as you mentioned, Rebecca, and that people would go out and try out those premium formats, something that I think we, we also saw across the board. In the UK, we saw similarly positive results. Remember, this was an initiative that was also simultaneously organized in the UK and Irish markets. In the UK market, 1.46 million admission, guys. That is above the 1.34 million admissions set by the UK market last time they tried a National Cinema Day all the way back in 1997 with a one pound ticket price. That was 25 years ago, guys. So, 25 years after the last time this happens, at a three-pound ticket price, there's more cinema admissions going in. This is evidence of that success. That number of admissions is around three times the number of tickets sold during the pre-COVID era for the same frame. So these are strong results that we've seen not only in the U.S. market, also in the U.K. I think it's a great uh, initiative. Hopefully, we get to see it back. And talking about initiatives of bringing moviegoers back to theaters, uh, eventually, the experience itself. Rebecca, a big headline for this week Movie Pass is back from the dead.
2: Movie Pass is back, back, back again. Officially, the launch was on. Labor Day. They are rolling out in select markets, those being Chicago, Dallas, and Kansas City. So, what we know now is honestly not a ton more than we knew before. Um, there are different pricing tiers at $10, $20, $30. Uh, it can be used at any theater that accepts a major credit card. You know, it'll open in waves across the market. I'm, I'm reading from their website here. The launch determination will be weighed on level of engagement from the waitlist in each market, as well as locations of exhibition partners.
1: I think time will tell on what happens. I think this wait and see approach, market by market, uh, I think they're testing things out. They're trying to see just how viable it is before they make that national commitment. Uh, An interesting detail about those cities that you mentioned Kansas City, not too far from where AMC Theatres is located. Dallas, not too far from Plano, where the Cinemark headquarters are. So, uh, yeah, an interesting little asterisk there uh, with that initial rollout from MoviePass. Let's look at the box office this weekend, guys, because after a couple of slow frames, we are... I hate to say it, not probably back to normal. Usually this is that New Line weekend from Warner Brothers where a big horror title is supposed to come out and reignite the box office. It's been that way for how long now, Sean, has New Line owned that weekend?
3: quite a while. It seems like for the better part of a decade that a horror movie usually New Line or Warner Brothers had been opening right around this time. It was supposed to be Salem's Lot this year but as we we now know that is delayed indefinitely at the moment.
2: We're not getting a New Line horror but we are getting a horror film uh, in the form of Barbarian which I've heard like amazing things about from people I trust. They were like don't look up anything just go see it. So that one is really high at the top of my list to see. Um, Uh, Though we also have uh, an Indian film (laughs) coming over too, which, Sean, what are your expectations for like Barbarian versus Brahmastra? Because it seems like they are so different. How do you even begin to try to compare the two?
3: Yeah, the, I don't think I can't think of a, a different pair of movies that have <laughs> opened in a while, but you know we've seen we've seen Indian movies really do well in recent years. I think RRR is, was a great example of that. It opened over 9 million dollars in just 1200 theaters earlier this year domestically. And that's, you know, that's the comp I think for Brahmastra and ticket sales look pretty good and it's kind of in that position where I would not be shocked to see it upset Barbarian and give a run for that number one opening because Barbarian itself is opening in about 2,200 locations. So it's still a wide release, but Disney slash 20th Century Studios aren't putting that, that full force release strategy behind it, like most of these Warner Brothers horror movies we usually talk about. So hopefully word of mouth will carry that and and the R rating can kind of appeal to that horror audience getting in the mood for Halloween now that would get into the fall. But if you're asking me to, to place a bet, it would be very hard because I would not be surprised to see uh, Bramaster end up at number one this weekend. You
1: know, that limited, not that's not kind of limited, it's still a wide release, 2,200 locations like you mentioned, Sean, but it's not a proper wide release. When I was in Dallas for cine Show, the, the convention of the theater owners of Mid-America, I heard this complaint from a lot of independent exhibitors. There are movies coming out that we are not getting access to, that are only going to the major markets, that when they do go out to smaller towns and cities, they go to the circuits. We're getting overlooked with titles that we'd like to get our hands on. I think this is a big concern. Hopefully Barbarian does well in the box office, but I can't for the life of me understand why 20th Century Studios slash Disney doesn't go wider with this title. There's nothing else on other than a title to counter-program this one.
3: It's a fair question, and I honestly don't have an answer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we know that's going to be a challenge, guys. But, Sean, what can you tell us about the rest of the month of September? There's a couple of titles coming out that might perform decently well, even though they're not established IPs. They're original movies that I've been calling for for over a year. Now I have to back it up with my ticket dollars. I'm going to be paying money to see Don't Worry Darling. I'm going to be paying money to see The Woman King and Bros. Will other people also be doing that?
3: Yeah, this is really that point where we get several original films in a row, and that's what we expect to see after a summer and i think the woman king is is really interesting to me because it it has kind of an action element but it's also positioned as a drama and and viola davis is is obviously kind of a force to be reckoned with her popularity has just skyrocketed in recent years i i'm pretty confident in that one i think it could do well but then we also look at the avatar re-release and and don't worry darling opening the same weekend that's a Fascinating showdown to me. And then at the end of the month, I also like bros and smile coming out against each other. A comedy and a horror movie. That's kind of one of those classic pre-COVID weekends to me. So, you know, we're not going to get into those big grocers quite yet again, but maybe we get some solid openings and some legs from from this collection of movies that opened before October.
1: Give us some numbers, like a range here that our listeners can expect, because I don't want the narrative for these titles to be, oh, they opened under 85 million. These original titles don't work at the movies. That's totally unfair. We've been calling for diversity in the slate. What's a rational target that we can look at?
3: I think, on average, pretty much all of these are are likely to fall into that mid-teens to maybe low-20s range. Maybe something like The Woman King can break out a little higher. Avatar is the tricky one to call because we're still waiting to see how wide its re-release will be, even though it's anticipated to be technically wide in terms of thousands of theaters. But that's just a little bit of a different beast. But Don't Worry Darling, Bros, Smile, these all look like movies that, you know, review-dependent and social media buzz from there, anywhere from low teens to potentially upper teens or low 20 million, That that's conceivable and probably realistic for virtually all of these movies.
2: Sean, I think it's safe to say that so far uh, Q3 is shaping up to be a little bit weird between the lack of titles, some titles like Halloween Ends going day and date, and then National Cinema Day, a lot of different factors here. But if you step back, what is your forecast for Q3 at this point?
3: Well, I think at this point, uh, it's going to land on a very soft note. It would be challenging, I would say, in, in a nice way to surpass what last year's third quarter was. Not impossible, though, just because we had such a strong July lead in. Uh, And August was, you know, essentially, it wasn't very strong. But at the same time, neither was last August for, you know, for the most part. September is what it's going to boil down to and what a lot of these movies can do. I think last year we were around a little over 1.7 billion for the third quarter. A similar number, maybe slightly you know plus or minus a little bit on either side of that wouldn't be too surprising for for where we end up for this July August September corridor this year
2: is there anything that has breakout potential in your view
3: I think for the remainder of September, I really look at something like The Woman King. And by then, we kind of get to the point where most of these movies will benefit Q4 a little more, like mm-hmm. Smile and Bros. Those are essentially Q4 movies with one day of play in Q3. So it's really down to The Woman King and Avatar and Don't Worry Darling and you know, hopefully something like Barbarian.
1: And now looking at that 2022 forecast as a whole, we've seen a number of titles vacate the year. We saw some release changes from Warner Brothers, I think most notably Shazam 2 going to 2023. You've got a couple of changes with Halloween ends going day and date and Amsterdam being moved up to October. How do you think this year ends up, especially with all this news on the merry-go-round of release date changes?
3: Yeah, the the delay of these Warner films, in particular Shazam! impacted forecasts a little bit because that was the that was the number two blockbuster for December let's you know that's not an insult towards Shazam or in any new way but of course we know avatar is is the big one everybody is looking at and in past years we've seen over the holidays multiple films can do really well at the same time people go see more than one movie and sellouts can benefit something like that so the loss of that title does does impact where we where we see things end up I think Amsterdam is an interesting move that at least gets some high-profile content into October which had Looked fairly dry. If it becomes an award season player, that might help it a little bit. Otherwise, it's you know it, it's it's content, and it it will get some seats sold before you get to the likes of Black Adam and Halloween Ends, which is another one of the recent announcements that it would be going to a hybrid release like its sequel last year. I think given the mixed reception on on that sequel, maybe Ends has some some slight impact on the fact that it will be available at home on the same day. But you know ultimately, we're all kind of looking to November and December. and I, I think that's where we'll start to make up a lot of ground. Probably the target at this point is is to reach something you know, maybe around seven point two to seven point three billion for the year. A major step up from from where we were last year. We could even see that go a little higher depending on what Black Panther and Avatar do because they will, quite frankly, make up the lion's share of, of business in November and December.
2: I like your big cat puns. What's the next hundred million opener?
3: Uh Black Panther.
2: Okay, nothing before,
3: I, I, I don't think yeah, I don't think Black Adam quite gets there. Uh, I would love to be surprised. I would love to be wrong on that, but I would go with Black Panther.
1: Well, those are definitely, uh, I think, numbers that, that we hope to reach. But at the end of the day, uh, seven point two to seven point three billion dollar total for twenty twenty two. I'm sorry, guys, I have to look at disappointing. Uh I was really hoping at the beginning of the year, with the slate the way it looked like, that we would hit at least eight billion. Not getting there. That's a solid C for the industry this year. Um, I hope next year we can get closer to that ten billion dollar mark. But it's brick by break here on the recovery.
2: And Daniel, of course, you know, we don't just want to focus on the North American market, uh, the ripple effects of what happens in the studios here and in Hollywood affects markets around the world. What's been the recent data on cinema recovery in Mexico? Because we do know that was a market that at one point was, I think it's, it's fair to say, fairly far behind in the United States in terms of the recovery. What are things looking like now?
1: I would say Latin America as a whole, to be completely honest, I think the hit that Latin America has taken in the box office has been harder than any other region uh, around the world. And that recovery has been slower, not only in terms of getting over the hump of COVID and things like vaccine availability, but also in terms of title availability from movies that do really, really well in those markets. Mexico being one of the top markets in the Latin America region, they've suffered with not having availability of certain Disney films that have now gone to Disney Plus, for example. If we look at that 2021 box office for the Mexican market, it was down 60% in local currency compared to 2019. Now, this year has been an improvement as of August 15th. The box office in Mexico in local currency is tracking 37% behind 2019. Recovery, but not quite there yet. And that's something that our guest in this week's feature segment of the podcast, Roberto Quintero, is going to be going into as we prepare for a big event here in the Mexican market, uh, the market's exhibition convention, Cine Show Mexico, taking place on September 28th and 29th in the city of Puebla, bringing together independent exhibitors in Mexico and some representatives from the major circuits as they come together to find out how the market can recover from these challenges. One of those ideas actually took place earlier this week. We had National Cinema Day in the U.S. and U.K. markets. Mexico had the Fiesta del Cine at Cinepolis locations, the country's top circuit, where tickets went for 29 pesos, around $1.50 per ticket, three days midweek, which is roughly around $1.50 in U.S. currency. So that was three days with heavily discounted tickets. We'll see what those results were, but we're seeing those initiatives in the Mexico market to try to make up ground. But enough me talking about it. Let's go right into that feature interview segment with Roberto Quintero, the conference director over at CineShow Mexico. And we are back here on the box office podcast with Roberto Quintero, the organizer of CineShow Mexico, an event here in Mexico, in the city of Puebla. Uh, beautiful city for those of you that haven't been able to go. Uh, Roberto, welcome to the podcast. And can you tell us a little bit about the event? We just had a Cineshow in Texas. This is a different event altogether. It's uh, the uh-huh. first exhibition convention in Mexico for a long time. What's the background of of putting Cineshow Mexico
0: up and above? Thank you very much, Daniel. It's great to be to be with you and let me talk a little bit about Cine Show. You know, it's an event that brings together independent exhibitors, art cinemas, and driving uh, theaters from Mexico, but not just from Mexico, from all over Latin America. With the aim of training, updating, generating joint strategies, networking, and bringing together industry, allies, and suppliers after this challenge, this big challenge, that, that was the pandemic. Absolutely. And the pandemic, as we know, in Latin America, it was the region in the world that was most
1: affected by the COVID-19 disruption. Mexico, one of the main markets in the Latin America region, I know the recovery has been uh, slow, but I think it's underway. What's the state of the movie theater industry
0: today in Mexico as you prepare to put on your event? Sure. Thank you. Well, let, let me tell you first, Daniel, that our tagline is we come back stronger than ever. <laughs> that has to do with what you just said. And we think that cine show will be a party. We want to mm-hmm. celebrate that we are alive that we are still on the show. And well, let let me tell you that the impact in Mexico is still uh, big. We have over 40 or 35% lower attendance than before COVID. And well, the the Cine Show of this year is the third edition. eh? The first Mm -hmm. one was a small prototype that we made in Puebla too, in 2014. The second meeting, it was in 2016 in Mexico City. And uh, well, this time, the third edition will be in Puebla, Mexico. Puebla is about two hours from Mexico City, I mean, to the south. And it's a really important city in, in, in our country. It's a beautiful city with some very historic theaters in that city. I know the
1: Teatro de la Ciudad. A historic cinema is going to be uh, hosting some events there. Can you tell us some of the history of uh, movie theaters in the city of Puebla as you're going to be
0: hosting the event there? Yes, yeah, sure. Uh, thank you, Daniel. You, you know, in the 40s and 50s, well, Puebla was like the headquarters of the biggest movie theater chain in all over on all all over Mexico, and well, uh, our home this year, El Teatro de la Ciudad, the City Theater. It uh, was built in, you know, 1868. It was
1: it's before cinema even was around as a viable business for getting technology. It's a really historic space. So it's built in
0: 1868. When does it start showing movies? Do do you know when it started acting as a movie theater? Yeah, of course. You you know, the owner was uh, Mr. Guerrero, Guerrero Manzano, that's why the name of the movie theater was Cine Guerrero because of the last name of the founder. You you know, the movie theater was operating until uh, it suffered a fire in 1909. Before that, we do not have a lot of information, but when they decided to reopen, well, it was in 1929 and with the art deco style that we we can see right now, And the movie theater was Santa, you know? Santa Mm -hmm. was the first sound film in Mexico. So really important people in that year, like Agustin Lara, you know, it was a a great uh, uh, artist in Mexico, Pedro Vargas, uh, Granica Asensio, Leopoldo Ortiz. Well, they attended this Santa Premier in 1929. The first sound film in Mexico, the, the theater
1: that welcomed the entire country, the entire industry to revitalizing a, a domestic film industry. In the period after that, from the 1940s to the 1950s, we had the golden age of Mexican cinema, some really iconic films. The film industry has always found a wonderful home in Mexico with movie theaters. You mentioned that the pandemic has really hit movie going in Mexico. I I have some facts here from Comscore looking at the average moviegoer visit per year in Mexico. Before the pandemic in 2019, you'd have 2.77 trips to the cinema uh, per year by moviegoers. In 2020, that went down to 0.5, so half a visit per year per person. That went up in 2021 to 0.9. So it's a 76% increase in terms of frequency. We're not back yet, but we will be. I know 2022 has been a a good recovery year here for the industry. What are going to be some of the topics in the panel conversations, Roberto, that that you'll be speaking about at the event to prepare
0: for the return of audiences in Mexico? Yeah, Sure. Uh, Daniel, let, let me talk a little bit about why we are doing this event, why the topics, and it has to do with the pandemic. Uh, As you all know, the pandemic was the biggest challenge in the film exhibition industry, and of course in Mexico and Latin America. You know, the permanent closure of movie theaters was a very strong blow for all the entrepreneurs and especially the independent exhibitors. Uh, Let me tell you, in my opinion, the, the elements that affected this sector, I mean, the independent exhibition were as follows. First, in the industrial level, of course, the closing of the cinemas. Second, the lack of, of sensitivity of some governments by not, not recognizing that cinemas were and are safe places in the face of COVID-19. Uh, the lack of government support. Of course, the streaming competition and the enormous piracy that generated the streaming in Latin America. And uh, well, the lack of of material by film distributors. But at the level of the independent entrepreneur, there were more challenges. One, the lack of cash flow. Mm-hmm. Second, the lack of bargain power with suppliers due to the size of the company. Independent exhibitors, well, we do not have so many screens as the chains uh, have. And well, the personal impact of the entrepreneur, most of them do not have a board to help caution cons- to blow of what was happening. I am sure that the stress generated generated by the pandemic in the independent entrepreneur was was really was enormous. And well, the topics we have three three, three sections. Uh, the first one is exhibition. We'll have the main post pandemic challenges, uh, how to face them. Second the alternative contents for movie theaters in Mexico and Latin America. Third, the supports of government, you know, in Cine in Mexico mm-hmm. is the, the, the government institution. We will talk about display windows. We'll have uh, material from distributors. We'll have, of course, Disney and Sony and Paramount and Universal and, and the other guys talking with us about the, the, the movies that will open on, 2023. we will talk also about projection and sound, the best practices, the benefits of preventive maintenance, new technologies, the future of proje- projection. Uh, we will also have seminars for technicians. Uh, we'll talk also about marketing you know uh, the state of the industry, the profile of the new bo- movie goer after pandemic, and management of social networks, digital marketing, the importance of public relations of PR, and the data value of the new moviegoers, and uh, for last concessions, no candies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll <laughs> talk about innovation in concessions, trends in food and beverage, and consumption habits for the new generations. You know the millennials, the centennials that uh, used to. To drink and eat different candies that we uh, used to used to do. <laughs> <laughs> the concessions uh, around the
1: world is always something that that really fascinates me. Every country has its own traditions when it comes to the concession stand. Uh, you're you're in the industry here in Mexico. You know the movie theater industry perfectly well, Roberto. How would you describe? concessions in Mexico. What concessions set the market apart from the rest of the world?
0: Well, uh, perhaps I'm not so objective because I'm from Mexico, <laughs> but, but I have traveled, and, you know, I guess it's really different. Why? Because food for, for Latin Americans and food for Mexicans, you, you know, it's it's a really important part of our life. You know, we are always... Planning with the family what what to do, what to eat. You know, uh, eating for us is just like religion. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's it's very important what we eat and what we drink in Mexico. And it had to it has to do with movie theaters. You know, in in Mexico our popcorn is different. No, it's different. The amount of salt you use a hot uh, uh, sauce on it. Mm-hmm. Our nachos are different. We do not just use. It's the cheese, but you use avocado and different vegetable and uh, something we call pico de gallo that it's like a sauce with tomato and and celery and some other issues. So uh, I think the concessions in Mexico, they are really different. In Mexico, uh, moviegoers, we do not just go to movie theaters to watch and to enjoy the movie. We, we go thinking uh, on what we are going to enjoy, what we are going to eat and drink. <laughs> well, there's so many topics that you're going to be going over. You mentioned the different topics that
1: are going to be in discussion here at this event in Puebla. Could you tell us some of the biggest priorities for Mexican exhibitors today? Because outside of Mexico, I think anyone looking at exhibition thinks of the Mexican market, as Cinepolis and Cinemix. Two of the largest circuits there, they occupy a majority of the market share. But as you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, it's actually a much more diverse market with a lot
0: more opinions other than the two major circuits. Yeah, that's right. You know, we have about 500 screens of independent exhibitors. And I guess after pandemic, I mean, it's good news for independent exhibitors. I guess that niche uh, niche uh, films, niche movies will have an opportunity. And I think it will be it won't be necessarily by Cinepolis or Cinemex that they make a great job. Uh, we have a great movie theaters because of them. But I think now it's it's a good time for independence, you know, in small communities. We have just like I said, like five hundred screens. So uh, what's the challenge in Mexico? I guess to understand the new movie goer, I guess to understand the new generations, just like I said, centennials and millennials, they go to the movie different, they go to the the movies to eat different uh, food and drink, and to understand that streaming is not a competitor. Anyway,
1: streaming... that That is such a misconception. All around the world, people think that the conversation right now in the cinema industry is... How can movie theaters compete with streaming? That's not the case at all, especially in Mexico.
0: Of course. Yeah, I agree. I think we make a great team, streaming and and movie theaters. And I guess we have a lot, a lot of years for the uh, the industry. Uh, Just as you know, families, boy and girlfriend, it's really important in movie theater, to go there, to, you, you know, it's two hours. When when the problems are are not ours, are of Tom Cruise or <laughs> any? <laughs> we'll <laughs> let Tom Cruise solve the problems for two hours. That's yeah, wait.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that's no right. For a while. I,
0: I, you know, it's a, it's a travel agency, movie theaters in small communities. No, perhaps young Mexicans that cannot go another places to know another culture, another way of of thinking. They discover this diversity by. The travel agency that is a movie theater, it's, it's just great knowing they can travel any, any place, anytime by, by the screen. So I think we have movie theaters for at least 200 more years, more from, from now. <laughs> I completely agree. It's, it's such an interesting
1: market when we talk about the Mexican exhibition business. A lot of people don't realize Mexico, in terms of screens around the world, is the number four global market. So China has more screens than anybody else that's followed by the US and Canada market. India is in third place. Fourth place in terms of screens all over the world, Mexico with 7,400 cinema screens. Now, as we mentioned, Cinepolis Cinemex, they combine for around 6,500, 6,700 of those screens. So the majority, the bulk of those screens come from those two major circuits, but there's still a number of other smaller circuits and 500 or so screens controlled by independents to make this, I think, a very dynamic, a very important market from a global perspective. In that context, what are your expectations for Mexican cinema exhibition in 2023?
0: Do you believe we will continue seeing upward growth in the industry? No, I guess we'll have a good year. This year, 22 is not as good as we Expected, but I think the next year will be a, a really, really good year. And l- let me tell you about 65 or 75% of the cities in Mexico, they do not have movie theaters, you know, perhaps mm-hmm. 30% of the population makes 70% of the total is the tickets that are sold in Mexico. So we have a really great opportunity because we will have big blockbusters next year. And there are a lot of Mexican people that do not have movie theaters in town. And that that's an option. That's the opportunity for independent exhibitors to do that right. and make a team, not with the big guys, just like Cinemex, Cinépolis, they are great friends. They do a great job. And we see that at the box office as well. Mexico finished 2021
1: as the number six country in the world with tickets sold, according to data from Screen Digest. Uh, that's behind China, US, India, Russia, and Japan. But that's above markets like France, like the UK, like South Korea. It's a very important market. And as you mentioned, Roberto, there are still opportunities for growth. It is not necessarily a mature market. It's a very competitive market. There's a lot of innovation there, but still a lot of opportunities. Uh, to close up this conversation, Roberto, there are a lot of things happening in Puebla for initial
0: to be excited about. What are you most excited about for this edition of the event? Thank you, Daniel. Well, we are really here happy because just like I said, it's a party. It's a celebration. We want to celebrate that we are alive as as entrepreneurs, as industry. We just want to to learn uh, soft skills, hard skills in a Show. And we are sure that Cine Show will be every year, every year gathering movie theater owners, gathering sponsors. We are really, we appreciate a lot our sponsors, just like box office, like Christie, Cinexo, Signoni, Comscore, Dolby, GDC, Harness Hall, Armand, Siones VIP, Tivoli, Vista. They are great partners of our industry. And thanks. Uh, we are really we really appreciate you box office and all the other sponsors that we can we can make this this real. We can make Cine Show this year, and we hope we will make it every year from now on.
1: And that is CineShow MX, Cineshow MX, taking place in Puebla, Mexico, September 28th and 29th. You can find more information to register and to sponsor if you're interested at cineshow.com.mx. Roberto, thank you so much for joining us on the show today.
0: Daniel, thank you very much. And it's really great to to be with you. You know, I used to read Box Office since I was 15 or 16 years, and it's great to be part of it this, this time. Thank you very much.
1: And that does it for this week's edition of the Box Office Podcast. Thanks again to our co hosts, Rebecca Pauly and Sean Robbins, for joining us during the news segment. And to Roberto Quintero of Cineshow Mexico for joining us for our feature interview segment the box office podcast will be back next week new episodes launch every thursday so don't forget to rate subscribe and share if you like what we're doing the box office podcast is produced by box office pro in collaboration with the box office company and record edit podcasts we'll talk to you again next week